Finding your definition of love in today's day and age is no small feat. With the click of a button or a swipe of a finger, you can open up your hearts and your world to, well, best case scenario, a passionate love with shared values, understanding, commitment, adventure, fire. But how will you know that this is your person? Do you have to have everything in common or is the principle of opposites attract actually sound? How important is sexual chemistry or getting along with your in-laws? What can you do to build, maintain, and cultivate a flourishing relationship that can last a lifetime? How do you know if you're sabotaging your relationship or if it's time to go your separate ways? These are some of the burning questions we're going to tackle in this special Valentine's Day episode on modern love and relationships. This is your host, Deep, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the Manmukti Mental Health Podcast. All right, so we are here to talk about romantic relationships. Um, Listeners, I have a special guest, two special guests actually with me today. First is my dear husband, Darek. My name is Darek. I've known Kieran for about 10 years now. Uh, We've been married five, going on six this year. And I'm extremely excited to be here. I'm an avid listener of the Manmukti podcast, and uh, it's great to be here. Awesome. And joining us today is Dr. Vijay Thasin. She's a psychologist and relationship resiliency expert. So Dr. Vijay Thas, so excited to have you. So excited to be here with you both today. I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself. Tell us your story. How did you end up in the realm of relationships? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in India and I have been pretty lucky in that I had a very privileged background. Both of my parents are very well educated and very liberal in their thought process and so raised us in that way. And so we were exposed to a lot of different things growing up. I was I, I did not have the traditional um, overprotected experience that a lot of kids growing up uh, do in India. So um, so in that way, I'm very, very fortunate, very blessed. Uh, but that also allowed me to see other people and see other people and their relationships in a very close, raw kind of way. And so, you know, my interest in psychology kind of developed from that as a function of kind of just seeing other people and, and just being interested and curious about other people. Why do they do the things they do? What, what, what incentivizes them? Why do they do things that make no sense? Um, so that kind of stuff drew me to psychology. And then I think that as someone who got married when I was very fairly young, um, and, you know, I kind of started off in this relationship with, you know, I'd been, we'd been dating for a while before we got married. So it was a love marriage, but at the same time I was, I was young and so was he, and, and we had to kind of go through the ups and downs of the, of the marriage by ourselves because we were in the U S and I didn't have family close by and we didn't have that kind of support, uh, as well, as well as a model or a template for, you know, how to kind of weather the ups and downs of a relationship. Now, this is also back in the early 2000s. So there weren't a lot of South Asian couples therapists or people that we could approach to, to get more help. So had to do a lot of this figuring out ourselves and then also saw so many friends go through their ups and downs in their relationships. And that really then fascinated me that, you know, that we have this way of being in the world and we have this way of being with other people. And that brings in as much as we love other people and want to be with them, we can be so in conflict with them. Uh, and it can be such a, you know, excruciating experience, yet joyful at the same time. So, you know, so paradoxical in so many ways. So that's how I started building my practice surrounding working with um, people who are having difficulties in their relationships and couples who wanted to work on their relationships. That is quite a story. And what a journey from India to the US and then understanding how society is so different here as well. And you said that you had a love marriage growing in and then kind of learning about which is not I mean, I'm not sure about many years ago, but I don't know how common it is now to have uh, an arranged marriage, I, I would assume that people do go into love marriages more common now. Um, sure. what's, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, my generation was probably right in the middle of that 
period where you know our parents had had arranged marriages but we weren't necessarily interested in having arranged marriages and so many of my friends and people that i knew had love marriages but i also know a lot of people who had arranged marriages so we were i think my generation was still in that place where we like there was an expiration of both and i think now though however there is definitely this idea of love into arranged right which is like it's set up or whatever like arranged into love that you know you're kind of set up by your parents but then you meet you date and then you get to decide whether you want to be with one another yeah they say oh well love will grow when you hang out with each other <laughs> and it, it's interesting because you're you you were mentioning you're right on the cusp so you have the experience of un uh, arranged marriages plus love marriages which is great as a couples therapist i feel like that's a really good asset to have <laughs> Yeah, for sure because I still see so many couples that are arranged and who came from that family background and culture where it's really really important to have an arranged marriage. So, so yes, so it's definitely an advantage. Diving in, I was thinking that we could kind of talk a little bit at the beginning of this conversation about the beginnings of a relationship. So, you had mentioned love. Is this something that, you know, people need they, they think that they need to like fall head over heels for this person. And that's the person they need to be with for the rest of the life. They have to feel a certain way. How important is that kind of like infatuation? I think that that infatuation is what is what like sends out those sparks in the early parts of the relationship. So I think that it allows two people to feel attracted to one another and to want to come close to one another. Right. So I think it's important in that sense, but of course the relationship has to have so much more than just that because as you know that 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 attraction can very quickly fizzle out as you get to know the other person more closely. And then as you learn more things about them, you can maybe perhaps feel more attracted to them, more drawn to them, or maybe perhaps feel like, you know, you want to move away from the person or or they're not quite what you had hoped for or wanted. So you know the idea of love in our culture is um is kind of embedded in in what's happening around us at the time and i think that we have to think about what love means to us and i think to different people love means different things uh, for some people love is infatuation and passion and and always feeling stimulated by the other person and for some people love is a commitment it's the idea of of having trust in the other person and and feel in a sense of loyalty and a sense of wanting companionship in the relationship so to all of us love means different things and we have to be willing to figure out what it is that we want in the relationship what are our goals so that when we are stepping into the relationship we're coming in from a more informed perspective rather than just falling into it tumbling into it and then trying to figure our steps out yeah i feel like that's a really good point to have that love kind of evolves and it's like your own definition of it and what you kind of expect going into the relationship dark what do you think do you think our love evolved <laughs> yes absolutely i mean you know Uh, I'm a first generation uh, born in America so I, I saw my parents actually in their arranged marriage and you know how important it was uh, that they kind of when they were spending time with each other that love did evolve so I think that definitely happens in any relationship uh, if you cultivate it appropriately uh, and that's why one of my questions uh, to you is that at the beginning of the relationship you know what are the important things uh, that people should kind of cultivate kind of uh, grow at the beginning and to look out for. Yeah. That's a really good question. Um I think that we I kind of see a relationship as a as a dance. Uh it's a dance that you're going to do together and I think that before you start dancing with someone you have to be really mindful of your own self, your own body, the ratio and proportions of your body and and your movements and your style and your rhythm and your cadence. and your ability to kind of pick yourself up when you when you know you falter in your movements so all this to say that we have to really have a very deep understanding of ourselves and an awareness of ourselves and unfortunately um you know we don't all have that because we are used to the idea of this being the next step in our life is you know you fall in love and you have a relationship but most of us don't even have a healthy relationship with ourselves or even know what our relationship is with ourselves before we can have a relationship with someone else because the first and foremost relationship that we have is with ourselves so we have to be interesting we have to like ourselves we have to find ourselves attractive 
We have to be willing to spend time with ourselves. Do we enjoy our own company? Some of us are in conflict with ourselves. We don't like spending time with ourselves. We're desperately looking to get away and, and always distract ourselves with other people or things or work or, uh, or anything else, anything else, right? So the idea that we first have to know who we are, because if we know who we are, then we can adjust ourselves. Then we can get into that dance with someone else who also comes with their own set of complications and problems, right? So you have your baggage and your partner has their baggage. And the more aware you are of, of your own baggage, then you can be really mindful of how that might get in the way of the relationship in the marriage. But if, if we're walking in completely unaware, unaware of our past, unaware of our experiences, unaware of how they've shaped us, they've impacted us, how we have changed as a result of that, both positive and negative, then we're going to kind of walk into the relationship with the same kind of stuff and then carry that. And that same kind of thing is going to play out. And then we're going to be left scratching our heads wondering why. So does this answer the question a little bit that it's that before we start looking for what is it that we want in the other person, we have to make sure that we have we embody those qualities and traits ourselves. You know, oftentimes, especially in today's time, we are very entitled in terms of what we want to see in our partner. But we have to be willing to kind of cultivate those same things ourselves. Um, and if we have that, if we if we do that, then we're naturally going to attract a partner who then matches us on those things, because those things are going to be important to us. We're going to see the value in being open-minded. We're going to see the value in not being too rigid in our thinking or thought process. We're going to see the value of respecting one another, even despite our differences, rather than trying to make our partner like us, uh, like us in the sense like we both need to like the same things. We both need to think similarly. We need to have the same this. We need to have the same that. And I think that when we can appreciate the differences between one another and not just appreciate them, but respect them, then we can have, then we can allow for that space in the relationship in which we can both kind of dance together. Absolutely. I, that's, that's a great point that you bring up about loving yourself first. Um, and I know that uh, even sometimes in an arranged marriage, that can be difficult. As you did mention as well, you were young. A lot of people, even my parents included, were very young when they first got married. It's difficult to kind of know yourself at that age. Um, so that's why it's definitely important that, you know, uh, cultivating your own personalities, knowing the things that you want are extremely important. So that way, like you said, uh, you can find the same qualities or similar qualities in the other person. So that's a great answer. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, I feel like there's this common misunderstanding that uh, you have to be into the same things and have everything in common to be, you know, in a good relationship. And sometimes they say like opposites attract or opposites work sometimes, which I don't know if that's completely true either, because, you know, if someone's like really bad at handling some things and the other one is good, then that works. But <laughs> sometimes that can be a little tricky. Actually, I had a, another follow-up question to that. Um, yeah. You had mentioned like, it's good to like do the work before you get into a relationship. So you know what to expect when you're in the relationship, what type of values do you think should be discussed before you get into anything more serious? Like, you know, do you want kids, what you want to do with your life, where do you want to live? Like what other types of values do you think that should be discussed before getting into anything more serious like marriage? I think that we tend to think that if we cross out like the main items, right? Like, what do we think about money? You know, what is our sexual compatibility? What is, uh, do we want to have kids? Like if we check off those major boxes, then we will be in alignment with one another more or less. And I think that there is this idea as well, again, right? That the more similarities between us, the more easier it will be for us to get along. Uh, and this is the premise on which like arranged marriages were built on historically, right? That if they're from the same family, if they're from the same culture, then there will be less of an adjustment that people will have to make between, um, you know, there'll be less of that gap that they will have to cover because in all marriages, there's a gap and we have to travel that distance. But the idea is that if there are more things in common, then, then we will have less, less distance to cover. And there might be some truth to that. But I think that when it comes to the values that we want to have in the other person, we have to really ask ourselves what's important to us. And to some of us, there might be things that are more important uh, and, and, and that we really want to see in our Some of us might really value honesty. 
Some of us might really value loyalty. Some of us might really value commitment. Some of us might see their importance and trust and uh, or communication or respect. So I think that we all have to figure out what are the things that are important to us without trying to have this laundry list of items that you know the other person needs to kind of meet us on because we are also we're also you know dealing with the fact that we're not perfect and we're not expected to be perfect and the other so we can't expect the other person to be just right and just perfect either but the idea is as long as you have someone who is open minded who is curious about themselves who is not you know too defensive or too closed off who's open to change who's open to growth who's open to being willing to look at themselves differently then you even if there are differences you you will be able to find alignment you'll be able to find compatibility because again going off that idea that we don't always have to think about things the same way if we can respect that we think about things differently we can still make it work yeah i feel like that came up a lot in early in our relationship because even though we're both uh born in north america and we have immigrant parents i feel like a lot of our family values are really similar but little odds and ends things are can be a little different like this is just a silly a thing but i grew up in a really small town and when mm-hmm. you go to the grocery store <laughs> like people know you you know yeah. and, and and you're going to have conversations so you don't just go into the grocery store in pajamas like you <laughs> wear proper attire and you go into the grocery store and you're kind of on i guess you can say mm-hmm. and the first time i walked into a grocery store with mr desai <laughs> He's singing, you know, he's in his sweatpants. And to me, like that bothered me so much because I'm already so used to going into a grocery store and it being kind of like a formal thing almost. And he's going to the grocery store in his sweatpants, singing loudly to like the song that was on the speaker. And we actually had a little kerfuffle about that. And, you know, he had to like sit me down and and say to me, we don't know anybody. (laughs) It's okay. We are not in Fort Nelson and it shouldn't matter, right? Like these things shouldn't matter. Um, So yeah, like little odds and ends things, I feel like commonalities and, and as you were saying, like accepting that someone might not think the same as you and being open-minded to different experiences and, and things like that is so important. Uh, do you remember that, Tarek? I do, actually. And it's good that you brought that up. Uh, and like you said, uh, Dr. Vijayta, that, you know, it's important to have, you know, a common ground even between the two of you. Uh, like Kieran said, we're both, you know, born in North America. We both yeah. come from parents. And our culture actually is very similar. I mean, Kieran is Punjabi, I'm Gujarati, but it's still very similar. So I think that uh, that type of understanding of our own backgrounds really helped us to kind of connect but yes there are some of those differences like she's from a very small town and uh you know this was when we first started our relationship and then I actually traveled uh to her you know small town in Canada and when I went there I actually realized what she meant and what she was talking about and that's why when you said that you know it's important for an individual to have an open mind I in that moment realized what she meant when she was you know got angry with me that hey you know you just can't go into the store and sing and dance <laughs> you know there's people here that I know uh, and it really I really took to that as well and um, I think that that's important in a relationship is to kind of give and take uh, yeah. even though you may have your own strong you know identifiers it's definitely important to understand the other person where they come from yeah and also and also like personality characteristics because I think when sometimes when you grow up in a in a small town right and this is where like your relationship your experiences become so important and they become the blueprint for your identity is that when you grow up in a small town everybody knows everybody so there is a higher sense of self awareness as in like self consciousness like you're a little bit more mindful about how you're conducting yourself because in some ways you know you have eyes on you people see you and so you know that self consciousness can then you know transport itself in a whole lot of different ways in ways that you know maybe and care not to go into a little bit of like analysis of you here right because that's not what you need but just to understand that that then plays a role for how i might show up in front of other people and at the same time i'm allowed to show up the way i show up and you dharak are allowed to show up the way you show up so if you show up the way you show up 
uh, you know, my self-consciousness is, is, is my thing. And it's, it's then I can kind of focus on what it says about me and whether it needs to extend to you. Right. So, and and yes, from on Dharak's end in terms of understanding, like, okay, where do you come from and why is it that you feel so self-conscious about how you are and what you're wearing and, and, you know, what you're saying or not saying. So, yeah. So mutual understanding, like it has to come both ways. It definitely took us a few years to get to that phase where we're not just reacting to each other and we're like, okay, why is this actually happening? You know, and like sitting down and actually having a conversation of digging into the why, why, why. The thing mm. that I noticed though, is that when, I, when he asked me why, sometimes I don't know the answer to that. You know, oh. like, I don't know why I reacted. Maybe it's something that I had a previous trauma to in the, in the past, who knows, right? For sure. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. And I think that's the, that's the interesting thing is that um, we don't always know. We don't always know why we do what we do or how it came to be that we think a certain way, or why did we just take this on as a rule for ourselves? Or why is it that we have this particular expectation? We, we don't always know. So it's good to sit back and sometimes reflect on that when, especially if a partner brings it up as you know, hey, I'm noticing this, or like, this is my experience with this, I think it's much easier to get into a self-protective stance of, but it's not a problem, or, but this is why I do it, or this makes sense to me, as opposed to just kind of sitting back and being like, okay, yeah, actually, why do I do, like, why is that important? And I think that this is where, like, if, if you don't feel threatened in the relationship, if you don't feel like it's coming at you, like as an insult, or a place of shaming you or a place of blaming you, then you have the luxury of being able to sit back and being like, okay, what is this about for me? Do I need to pay attention to this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like self-awareness is really, really important here. There's something I kind of wanted to go back to. You had mentioned a little bit about like sexual chemistry a bit or like preferences in today's day and age, sex before marriage is kind of pretty common, right? Mm -hmm. So how important is it to have that sexual chemistry before diving into something more serious in a relationship? Is it important to have that before? Or is it something that can be built? I think that sexual chemistry or your sexual relationship is a part of your intimacy. Is it the only part of your intimacy? No. Can it be the only part of your intimacy? No. So I think as a, as a couple, you have to be mindful of how important, and as a person, you have to be mindful of how important is my sexuality to me? How important is my sexual life to me? And for some people, it's more important. And for some other people, it's not as important. So if it's really important to you and you want to establish some kind of sexual compatibility with the other person before you decide to commit to them for the long haul, then that's okay. Uh, but if you, but keep in mind that we have to be careful not to build the identity of the relationship based on sex, because you know, so that your sexual relationship is going to change over time, right? So what your sexual relationship is going to look like at the beginning of the relationship is going to look different once you are in the relationship, like a few years into the relationship is going to look different, different once you have kids, is going to look different when your kids grow up. All of those things can be subject to change. And then therefore, if you tie your sexual chemistry, like if your sexual chemistry becomes so important that it's a, like it's a, it's a big deal in the relationship, then it is also then subject to all of those transitions and changes in the relationship. And then that can threaten your emotional intimacy. So sex has its place in the relationship. And it for different people, it means different things. I think you have to, as a couple, figure out what it means to you. How important is it to you? And then use that to support and nurture the int- emotional intimacy, right? That it should never be the primary. Um, it should never be the primary type of intimacy between the two of you. I sh- shouldn't say shouldn't, but to me, that's a little dangerous. That's walking on ve- on like uh, on very tricky ground because if anything then threatens that, then that'll threaten the intimacy between the two of you. Does that make sense? That makes sure. a lot of sense, and I love how that you said that sex and intimacy are different 
or it can be involved, but it's not just the only thing. Like sex isn't the only thing that determines intimacy or has to do with intimacy. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Absolutely. We kind of discussed the beginnings of relationship and what's important to kind of cultivate when you first start to know someone. But, you know, Kieran and I have known each other for 10 years. We've been married for five. So what are some of the things that are kind of important to maintain a relationship? Uh, I know that sometimes it can be kind of uh, easy to take advantage of the other person, you know, you, you know that this person is here for you no matter what, but it, you still need to kind of grow that relationship, uh, cultivate it uh, appropriately. What are some of the things that, uh, you know, we can do? Yeah. Life? <clears throat> so I think over time, like once the relationship is established and you both uh, use the relationship as a secure base and know that the relationship is a secure base for you both, I think that it's um, it's very common that people take it for granted, right? Like forget how important um, the relationship is to them, how they are, how important the other person is to them, and and this doesn't always happen consciously. I don't think anyone is consciously trying to um, take the other person for granted. But I think that over time we, we we become a little comfortable and we become a little complacent, and so in that in that vein, it's important to kind of go back and kind of establish, okay, how are we doing as a couple? Like, how is it going? Like 15 years into it, 16 years into it, how are we, how are we doing as a couple? What are the things that are working? What are the things that are not working? It's kind of like doing a little bit of an assessment on the relationship. And I think that is important because then you can again start to have an honest conversation with, with each other about maybe aspects that are working and, and maybe things that might not be working as well as they were before or feelings that might have emerged or, or important experiences that may have happened during the course of the relationship that you feel are impacting you because you both are going to also build experiences with one another through the course of the marriage and relationship that you're going to have feelings about. Right? You're going to have interactions with other family members. You're going to have interactions through parenthood. You're going to have interactions through a couple who is thinking about their financial future, all of those things. So you're going to have experiences and reactions. And so it's important to process them together, to have a place where you can talk about, okay, this is how I feel about this aspect of our life or what are your thoughts? And when you create this kind of openness, that it's again, not about shaming or blaming the other person, but more about this is what I see happening. This is this is what I wish would be different about it. This is what I would like appreciate more from you, or this is what I think would be helpful to me. Then, then it can then we can take the relationship in a place where we can give each other the things that we need and nurture and support each other in the way that we want to nurture and support the relationship, so that it can continue to be the blossoming flower that it has been and it can, can continue to be the secure base that we want it to be. So a relationship is very much, especially a marriage is very much like a garden. If you tend to it, if you're careful about, you know, where you're planting what, and, uh, and if you're noticing the weeds that are showing up or wilted flowers or, or leaves that you need to clean out or whatever it is, or places you need to fertilize or water, then it'll blossom and it'll, it'll show up in that manner for you. But if you tend to neglect it, you know, every now and then you're sporadically watering, you know, or not checking in on the temperature, not doing this or not, then it's going to reflect that as well. I think you're absolutely right there that, you know, the person, for example, the person that I knew five years ago when I got married is changed and different even myself and dark for sure I, I feel like we've we, we've been through a lot in personal issues and you know family things and we had a baby that I feel like that changes a lot in a marriage as well um I mean luckily I have a good partner who's really good at communicating and he's able mm -hmm. to pick up on things when you know he notices I'm not the chipper person that I am usually so we do check in with each other every so often how often do you think that it's important to sit down and communicate and process like you were saying, because you had mentioned that, you know, when you notice the weeds kind of coming up, is there something that we can do like preemptively? Should we like, how often should we be deep diving and also not too much because then it's not fun anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? We can't always be having these serious conversations where we're deep diving into like intense feelings. At least that's how it is for me. So how often do you think, uh, when do you think would be a trigger for, yes, we need to sit down and talk about this? Well, for sure, if you are feeling activated by something that's happened, 
then that's an opportunity to maybe not in that moment have a conversation because then again, you're going to come from a place of reactivity as opposed to wanting to respond. So sometimes we have to wait for the dust to settle on certain things before we can approach them, especially if we're doing this by ourselves and not with the help of someone else. The advantage of having help with this is that then you have someone who can guide you with these conversations, ease you into the discussions, is mindful of the pressure points of each of you and is making sure that you know no one is getting too triggered or or people are not leave or people or that people are able to leave the conversation in a constructive place. So we, you know, we have to have goals for the conversation that we want to have. So if the goal for the conversation is for me to be able to, and we have to, we have to start with simple goals, which is I just want you to understand how I'm feeling. Right. So if if the goal for that conversation is I just want you to understand how I'm feeling, then that's all I'm addressing in that conversation is I'm just feeling overwhelmed because it's been a really difficult week. It was the holidays. I felt like there was a lot on my plate that I need to take care of. And I'm just a little tired and I'm just a little exhausted. I just want you to know where I am. Right. Um, and so that can just be the idea of where you're planting the seed for this is this is the issue that I think we need to talk about. And the whole conversation doesn't have to happen in one conversation. The whole issue doesn't, cannot, we, you know, so having realistic goals so that we're not expecting that the entire issue that I'll communicate this with you and we'll come to a problem solving approach and it'll be done and over with and the next time it'll be way better. So it may or may not. So sometimes we have to keep coming back to a topic, especially if it's a complicated topic, especially if it involves other people's feelings or especially if, you know, there are more um, players in involved or, you know, if, if it's very meaningful to us or something else like that, then we might have to pay a little bit more attention or think about how, you know, how we want to structure this. And it doesn't have to be every week, but it can be, I don't know, could you want to maybe check in with each other every two weeks? Should we do that? Would it be helpful for us to do this once a month? And then we can take it from there, whatever we can tolerate. And it is a, it's a great point. I mean, communication is, is such an important part of a relationship. Um, timeline wise, I mean, checking in with each other every so often, uh, like Karen mentioned, you know, her and I have been now in a long distance relationship for about six months. And we've actually kind of had these conversations on a regular basis, you know, oh, things that she needs from me, things that I need from her. And I think that it's definitely important to, you know, kind of do that regularly consistency uh, is the key here uh, in every walk of life. Uh, and I think especially in a relationship, it's important to kind of notice, you know, when the other, your partner is, you know, maybe not doing so well, or, you know, there's something that they need from you. It's, it's good to kind of listen and understand. And, you know, that's why, relationship wise or even relationship therapy at, at what point is it a good idea or beneficial to seek relationship therapy is it always you know when you're struggling or you're having issues or can you kind of you know get into a, a therapy earlier on in a relationship yeah um i think another good question because i think our tendency is to always try and solve a problem when there is a problem so we can, um, we're, we're interventionists in that sense that we intervene when there is an issue at hand. And sure, that's one way to tackle a problem. But typically, we want to get into the habit of trying and tackling problems before they occur, because that's when we can kind of go in with a steady mind and we can go in without having too many ruffled feathers. So you know, and also for uh, keep in mind that for for another person to kind of enter the the relationship with you both, because that's what a therapist is doing. A, th a pet therapist is a third person in the room who now has to come to speed with the history of your relationship, which is a complicated one, right? All our relationships are complicated. So for this person to understand who you both are, how you tick, what is the dance that you dance with one another, uh, it's better for that to happen when there aren't any emergent issues to solve. So for sure, you can involve someone when there is an issue, a problem. Yes, then for sure, you should try and get some help. But if you can incorporate someone's help just so that they know you um, off the hand and so that when you do have a problem, you can kind of go back to them and be like, OK, now 
now that you know us, now that you're familiar with our issues, right? Like this is what we're going through. And um, and yeah, the smaller the problem there is to solve at the beginning of therapy, the easier it is because, uh, you know, then we're kind of easing ourselves into trying to understand one another as opposed to kind of trying to jump in and all hands on deck and trying to put out fires. This might be a bit of a tangent. I'm curious, are females better at communicating <laughs> their feelings and issues? <laughs> it's, it's funny that you, you do bring that up because obviously that's a question on everybody's mind, right? Is men are from Mars, women are from Venus? I have seen both men and women struggle with communication. So I don't know if I can say that women are better at communicating. I think that women communicate their concerns differently. They can mm-hmm. be a little bit more verbal and they can, um, they can, they're more open to putting themselves out there in, in terms of expressing themselves. I think men express, and I, this is not definitely not a generalization for all men, but most men express themselves in a different kind of way. And so it's it's about being able to understand that we express our concerns, we express our disenchantment, we express our disgruntlement, we express our frustrations in, in different ways. So just like we want to be able to learn our love languages, we also have to be able to learn what are the different ways in which you express disagreement, what are the different ways in which you um, you express unhappiness or, or, or express like that I did or said something that you didn't like. Uh, because we're not all the same in the way that we express ourselves. But I will say that most women do uh, do approach couples therapy more often than their partners do. So it's usually, you know, women who are like, I think we need help or I think we need to, you know, get some help and will approach me for couples therapy. Not that their partner is unwilling, but they are, but they are more willing to uh, be the one to ask for directions. Okay. I want to talk about love languages in a second, but I want to go back to something you had mentioned that you yeah. said that like couples therapy, right? Can mm-hmm. someone seek a relationship therapy on their own or is it always sure. cu- a couple together? You can definitely seek a uh, relationship therapy on your own, especially if you have gone through relationships and you have struggled in relationships and you have done the work to identify that maybe you're a little bit of a problem in the relationship, right? So sometimes if you're the common denominator in a lot of the issues and struggles of of relationships, then I think that you now, like you have some evidence, right? That there maybe might, there might be some sticky things that you might need to work on. Again, not to, not from a blame shame kind of perspective, but from a yeah. awareness, enlightenment, empowerment kind of perspective that if this is something, if I struggle with, if every time I go to an interview and I get frozen and the words are hard to come out and I forget what I'm saying and it's happened a couple of times and I want to fix that problem before I keep missing job opportunities where, I ha- where I'm really good for the job, I'm a great fit, but I lose the opportunity because of this wretched issue that keeps coming up. So yeah, so I think that we, if we have the awareness and if we can uh, be non-judgmental with ourselves, because I think that is key. If we start sitting in judgment about the fact that, oh, my God, this is such an you know burning issue for me. And you know nobody likes me because of this. So all my partners dump me because of this. Then it's harder to approach the problem with the vulnerability that we need when we're trying to solve a problem such as this. Yeah, that's a really good point. I feel like it's really easy to blame other people in a relationship, but you kind of have to do a little bit of introspection here too. Yep. Everybody has a part to play. And it was an interesting point that you also did bring up that women uh, seek more help, you know, than men do. I think that it's very difficult, you know, for some men to ask for help in in general and not just in relationships, but in in the rest of their life as well. So uh, I think that's extremely important that if you know it's something that is difficult for you to do, uh, you can kind of tackle that by, you know, just asking for it. It's difficult, but you have to in certain It's like asking for directions, right? Right. Some of us like to ask for directions and other people will, you know, will walk around in the fog for a little bit before they'll say, Hey, I think I need help. Yes. That's, that's a really good analogy. Okay. I want to talk about love languages. You had mentioned the term love languages. What is that? So, um, so it was a book that was written by Gary Chapman. He's an author and uh, he talks in the book. He basically talks about the idea that we all have different ways in which we want to be appreciated by our partner. And 
I think the the assumption, the premise that we always make is that I treat my partner, I appreciate the part, my partner in ways that I like to be appreciated myself. And I think what he makes clear is that everybody has their own way in which they like to be appreciated, right? He calls these the, the five love languages, right? Whether it's that you like uh, words of affirmation, whether you like acts of service, whether you like to receive gifts, whether you want quality time with your partner, whether you like physical touch. So we all have these different ways in which we want to be loved. And we have to be cognizant of what our partner's needs are so that we can give them more of what it is that they want. And so that they can feel supported, they can feel validated, they can feel like we care about them and that they're important in the relationship, that we're not taking them for granted. Because we, if we continue just kind of throwing at them the, the things that we think are important and it's not landing for them because it's not important to them, then you know we're wasting our time and effort and it's causing a lot of friction. So easier to understand what it is the other person want and give them more of that. So they appreciate it. Yeah. I think it's super easy to be like sitting there in your expectations and then not communicating what you want, or even not even understanding what you need in that time. Um, yeah. I feel like that being in a relationship for a few years, I, I feel like I'm, I'm slowly starting to understand that now. And as you had mentioned, you go through these experiences where you, your love language might change even like mm-hmm. you, you're expecting different things in different phases of your life. Yep. Like we mentioned at the very beginning that it's, it's really important for you to get to know yourself. That That's the biggest thing. And that helps to kind of navigate how you kind of want to proceed in the relationship uh, as well. So it's extremely important. Okay, so I feel like we talked a lot about cultivating a healthy relationship, what a healthy relationship might look like, kind of working things that we need to work on for ourselves. I kind of want to take it to a not so positive situation. So how do you know that you are either sabotaging your relationship or you're in a very unhealthy relationship? You know, in a relationship that's devoid of like any obvious abuse of some kind, right? Like whether it's physical abuse or verbal abuse or emotional abuse, I think it'd be tricky because we don't always know what emotional abuse looks like. But if we, if our experience in the relationship is that if we feel ridiculed, shamed, or made to be made to feel less than in some ways for any aspect of our lives, whether it's because of, you know, our, uh, work or our the way we look or our sexuality or the way we express ourselves. If any of that is coming up, then that's a sign that something is not working out here, that there's something amiss, especially if it's coming from your partner. If, if you feel like it's, you feel unsafe in emotionally unsafe and feeling emotionally unsafe in front of your partner is different from feeling physically unsafe. It's, it's, it's feeling like you cannot be vulnerable that you cannot in some ways express yourself the way you are, because if you express yourself the way you are, you'll be rejected, you'll be invalidated, you'll, or you do an extreme, you'll be traumatized. If that happens and those are things to pay attention to and are important because by themselves, each item might not be that important, but when you start tallying it up, it can add up and it can really cause a lot of damage to your self-esteem. And if your self-esteem is being impacted, then then that's, then that's really troublesome and that's really bothersome. So we have to really be careful that we are, you know, being treated with respect in the relationship, the kind of respect that we all deserve, that we are treated with love in the relationship where we feel loved, where we feel like it's easy for us to give love, where we're not jumping through hoops or walking around eggshells to kind of um, be in the relationship with the other person or be seen or be understood by them. So those kinds of things are really important. I think that that's extremely important to kind of know or draw the line in some situations where, you know, you just may not want to tolerate or, you know, certain things, like you said, abuse, physical and emotional, uh, you may not know how to notice it at first, but uh, the more you kind of go on and talking, maybe talking to an individual can help you to kind of recognize what some of those things are. And that's why, you know, I want to know in a relationship, what are some things that maybe you should look out for? Uh, that can kind of be like deal breakers or when you're kind of coming into it, noticing that maybe this isn't the right relationship. Oftentimes, I think when we approach relationships, those things are very, very dim. Uh, They're not necessarily glaring and blaring right at the get-go. So they're very, very dim lights. 
And um, and sometimes we can approach that with the idea of, oh, I can change this other person, or if they only would change this little thing, it would be just fine, right? I don't think anyone starts the relationship completely um, lashing out at someone else in most relationships, right? It's only over time that we start noticing, oh, this person is sometimes can be a little, you know, emotionally dysfunctional or like can lash out a little bit or is a little, um, can be very, very sensitive or sometimes overly sensitive when we come. So we have to be really careful that we are not approaching a relationship with the idea of trying to change the other person. Uh, and I say this, especially for South Asian women, because it's it's almost drilled into women's minds in our culture, unfortunately, that they should adjust and they should accommodate. And a lot of the adjustment and accommodation can sometimes feel like uh, needing to minimize the red flags that they see in their partner. So in the minimizing of those things, there's, there can also sometimes be this thing of, you know, maybe it's not so bad. Or maybe if, uh, you know, if, if he realizes how much I love him, maybe if I love him enough, I can change him. And, you know, Chris Carr has this really nice saying that it's not our job to change other people. The only time that we can change other people is when they're in diapers. That's the only time we can change other people. So it's with that same approach that we, it is not our job to want to change other people, that it's important for us to not minimize the small, small things that when we see them appear in the relationship. So if we see a partner who is outrightly disrespectful towards us, does not support us, throws us under the bus in terms of other like family relationships or things like that, uh, is unwilling to support us, is, um, is, you know, very openly doing things behind our back, being dishonest, all of those things are signs to pay attention to and, and, and points of reflection of, do I really want to continue to be in a relationship with someone who is showing up like this? Because, you know, later on, especially when you're married, especially when like, it feels like, you know, we've sealed the deal, uh, people show themselves a little bit more and then because they feel comfortable in the relationship and then that might feel completely intolerable. So we have to be careful that when, you know, these are not glaring, blaring signs that when these are, even if there are small dim lights that we're paying attention to them, we're addressing them, we're figuring out what they're about uh, and, we're, and really proceeding with caution so that we're, we don't find ourselves blindsided or don't feel like, um, you know, we just took a ride with someone and, and it was totally not worth it. So one of the common things that comes up as like, a, I guess, something that creates friction in South Asian families is the daughter-in-law's relationship with their in-laws. In this situation where this is kind of an issue, what kind of advice would you have for someone? Because it's not always like you can have a loving relationship with your husband and then not be in a loving relationship with your in-laws. Yeah. So what kind of advice would you have for someone that would be dealing with that? So I think it's a very unfortunate thing um, in our culture where we almost have this idea that um, a daughter-in-law has to kind of follow the, the trajectory, the path, the, the dynamics, has to be like us in some ways. Like we're a certain way. And, I, and, it's, and this is not true just of South Asian families. I've seen this here as well. But there's this idea that we're a certain way, our family's a certain way, we're very outgoing and, and we're very loud and we're very this and we're very that. And, you know, but my daughter-in-law is very cold and distant or she's very this or she's very that. So this idea that we have to, it's almost like, are we choosing a family dog? Like, are we choosing someone who has to fit into our notions of what, you know, because that's how people choose dogs is I have kids and I need a dog that is not very like, you know, loud or bouncy or jumpy. Or, um, or I want like uh, my situation is that I'm gone for long periods of time. So I need a dog who will, you know, be able to tolerate being at home and is not too needy. So we're dealing with human beings and we're dealing with people here. And I think that we have to have that openness that everybody is different. So what is as a family who's bringing someone into the family, like what is it that's important to me? What are my goals for this new family member that's joining our family? I'd much rather that you know, she be perhaps um, someone who can be open to different experiences. I, I may be, I, maybe my goal is that um, she have a really strong, you know, nurturing relationship with my son or my daughter. Like that might be important to me. How she dresses, what she looks like, how she conducts herself, what her profession is. You know, all of those things are less important in the large scheme of things. If, if your child is choosing somebody 
to spend the rest of their life with, right? Hopefully they have made a decision uh, thoughtfully. And if they haven't made a decision that's on thoughtfully, then that's a little bit on them as well. So the suspiciousness with which we can sometimes see someone who is joining the family and in South Asian families is pointed at the daughter-in-law is, is very tragic, I think, and very unfortunate that we, we kind of notice them with suspicion or we notice them with uh, some sense of hesitation that, you know, they're here to upset the family or, the, or that they'll create chaos or that they will create some kind of trouble or confusion. We have to be a little bit more mindful that, uh, that if we can be open, if we if we don't have so much distrust and suspect of someone, then the, then unless someone shows differently, there's no reason why that would be an issue in the problem. So I think this really means that we have to let people be who they are. We have to allow them to find themselves. These are two adults who are in a relationship and they're two young adults. So there will be mistakes that your son and daughter is is has their own set of complexities and nuances, that it's not just this new person who's joining the family. So there's some amount of um, reality accept, acceptance that has to happen, that your child is also a player in the relationship uh, and has a contributing role to play, that it's um, that, you know, both these people will then create the relationship. And, and our job is to support them so that they can build a happy relationship together so that they can build a relationship where they can support one another. And so if that doesn't happen, and if we create seeds of division, if we create seeds of suspicion, or we create seeds of hate, then that's unfortunately what's going to flower down the line is that we are not going to trust one another. We're going to send negative energy back and forth. We're going to despise one another. We're going to be mistrustful of one another. We're uh, we're not going to ever be able to count on one another for support or encouragement. So, you know, it's uh, we have to be mindful of what is the goal of this relationship, like any other relationship. What is the goal of the relationship? What do we want to see happen? And what are we doing to get there? Because things, relationships don't grow abundantly just by themselves, right? Sometimes in-laws have their list of expectations, just like, you know, a husband might have from his wife or his partner or wife might have from for a husband. And it's almost more like an arranged marriage because you might be in love, but then you go into the family and you're really being arranged with them. <laughs> and sometimes they end up being completely different than, you know, your partner and you're going in with your own expectations. And, and I think that, I mean, I don't know, I, I think I'm just lucky Sometimes I, I consider myself lucky. I have an awesome relationship with my in-laws. I love them dearly. And, but then I, I think like I value my family so much. It was important to me to have a valuable relationship with my in-laws. So yes, I feel like I, I had to do a bit of work to get to know them and cultivate that relationship and understand um, because my mother-in-law is completely different than my mom. They give love in different ways. Mm -hmm. And kind of understanding, you know, how to fit in into that uh, family dynamic was different. Um, Dark has two brothers. I only have one brother and an older sister. So, it, you know, things were definitely a little bit different. Dark, how was your uh, experience coming into my family? Because we're talking about daughter-in-laws going in, but what about son-in-laws going into their in-laws? Yeah, so, I mean, again... Fortunately for me, I feel very blessed. Uh, I love my in-laws. They, you know, they've always treated me like what they consider me to be their eldest son. And, you know, they, they showered me with love and support. And uh, I think that it is kind of subjective, you know, each individual relationship. And of course, uh, how you, like, like we mentioned before, the importance to know yourself and what is important to you. And I think also for Kieran, it was important that, you know, I get along with her family. She's very close with them. Uh, coming from a small town, they, they were very, very close. And I think that it, it, it was important for our relationship for me to kind of fit in with them. Uh, and, you know, I just love them so much, but I do think it is, can be subjective in a relationship for a lot of people. I, I do know people that are in relationships where they may not be very close with their in-laws uh, because that individual doesn't have a close relationship with their parents or their family. Um, so, I mean, to me, it was very important. And I think that, you know, I've been blessed to have good in-laws as well. So, um, since we're on the topic of South Asian relationships, what are some other sort of things that you feel like come up commonly in South Asian relationships that can be an issue? 
Uh, sure. So I think differences in uh, priorities uh, is something that comes up a lot, um, especially if like one person tends to prioritize like work, career, um, and for the other person, that's uh, that's not so much a priority. Uh, having kids, when to have kids, uh, wanting to have kids, not wanting to have kids, that kind of thing also comes up a lot. Managing family relationships is something that comes up a, a whole lot because of this baggage that we carry in our culture, particularly about uh, the extended family, the role of the extended family, how much they influence us, which is very different from relationships here, which are a little bit more nuclear. Mm -hmm. Um, So those kinds of things come in for sure. I think the other things that kind of come in as they do with, you know, with couples all around the world are issues related to trust, infidelity, jealousy, uh, commitment, So the the whole gamut of human experiences and relationships. Would you say from your experience as a relationship resiliency expert that all relationships are mendable? Or are there some things that are just like you guys need to just be apart from each other? Yeah, I I don't know if um, I wish all relationships were mendable because I really, you know, I'm an optimist when it comes to relationships at heart. I I tend to believe that if people are committed to making something work, that they can be, that relationships can be saved and that relationships can be nurtured and brought to a place of safety if they have ventured into a place of of not feeling very safe. However, that said, both people have to be committed to that. And often that's not the case. Um, and, and, and again, this comes in in some ways because of you know, our experiences with one another and how uh, hurtful they have been or our experiences growing up that allow us to that kind of make us value uh, our self-protection more than, um, than the relationship. So it really depends on us, who we are, uh, how we come into the relationship, um, how the relationship progresses, uh, the work that we've done to really protect the relationship. Uh, And sometimes I think it's fair to kind of come to a place where if you feel like you've tried, if you you feel like you're the only person trying, if you feel like the other person is not committed to changing or is only committed to finding fault with you or is committed to um, finding a way out, right? Um, then it, it takes two people to make a relationship work. And in those situations, it's perfectly okay to feel like I did my best. I tried whatever I could to make it work. And unfortunately it didn't. And that's, and you know, as unfortunate as it is, uh, it is a reality and it's okay to, it's, and then it's okay to kind of allow people to walk away from us if that's what they're doing. Do not feel like we need to fight for, for togetherness and uh, and to fight for control or fight to make something work despite all odds. I think that if something is is happens the way it does, that we also have to kind of be willing to kind of allow the process to unfold and not feel that we need to desperately, you know, rush in and jump in and salvage and do damage control and all of that. For someone who might be at the end of their relationship and kind of going through even the heartbreak of just, you know, dating, what kind of advice would you have for someone who's going through a heartbreak? So um, I often use this analogy, which is like going through a heartbreak is like, uh, or a divorce or a separation, whatever it is. It's like going through an earthquake or a hurricane. So it's like your whole world is shattering around you and you have to now make sense of, yourself and your if you have kids involved your kids your future your your work everything else because life is unfolding as this part of your life is unraveling uh life is unfolding things are moving on you know the days are ticking by so one part of it is tending to yourself emotionally which means learning to pick yourself off the floor because you're going to be on the floor many many days and um you're going to have to need to learn to pick yourself off the floor and whether you do that with the help of your family, your friends, or you get help to, to do it through therapist or whatever, but it's an important part of the process. So once you have taken care of yourself individually then uh, and emotionally, then you can start thinking about uh, you know, what didn't work? What were the things that got missed? What were the lessons that you need to learn from this heartbreak? Because every uh, every failed relationship has something to teach us. And I think the... 
the sad thing is when we just skip from one relationship to the other, pretending as if nothing happened in that last relationship or pretending that we didn't have a part to play in that last relationship that unfolded or ended badly. So we have to be willing to uh, learn from what didn't work and then be willing to then rebuild our life and rebuild what the, the next steps, the next chapter looks like when we feel ready, when we feel like we've done that work, when we feel like we've taken care of ourselves, are not feeling the need to expedite the process and jump into another marriage or another relationship. I think everything that we've discussed is extremely important. And uh, thank you so much for giving us, even for Karen and I, some of the advice that you have given. Uh, I do have one more question, if it's possible to ask. It's something that I've been kind of thinking about that, you know, nowadays, you know, social media and with the internet, you know, it's it's a huge part of now the way that we date in the 21st century, so to speak. And in your personal experience, you know, how have like dating apps kind of uh, entered themselves into the dating world? here in the 21st century and is it helpful or or not yeah I th- yeah so i think that um the dating apps are just a reflection of the times right as we have moved into being more technical as we have moved into trying uh, on relying on our phones to communicate and uh and spend time together right like it has just become another way of trying to find people and trying to see if um if this is the right person. So I think it's good as a screening tool if you use it carefully. So you have to be like, and this is something that I often tell uh, my clients who are single and who are looking for love is that you have to be honest about who you are. Uh, And if you are honest about who you are, then you will attract that energy of other people who are also honest and who are not coming to you for, for something else. Right. So if you're open and honest about who you are and if you approach people who you meet on these dates with honesty and vulnerability, then you will attract people who are into the same thing as you. But if if we're playing games with people, if we're pretending to be something we're not, if we're um, trying to put something out there that's not authentic, right, like doing all of these things, then that's the loop that we will find ourselves in is we will attract people, attract partners who are playing those same kind of loops. So the, it's just a system. It's just a mechanism. Uh, it'll work as well as you use it. Um, and it's just an opportunity to maybe meet people that you might have not otherwise decided to, to meet because you're stuck in your idea of who you think your ideal partner is or, sh- or isn't. So be open-minded, uh, you know, be reflective about what, you know, what it is that you want, but also be open-minded as to who the other person is. and. And don't let it be the only way that you find other people. Let it be another way that you find people. Also explore, you know, getting to know people in, in different kinds of ways. So you never know how it might love might show up at your doorstep. So don't restrict yourself by just doing one particular thing. Uh, but try, you know, try putting yourself out there in different ways. And, and if you're putting out the right energy, it'll come back. Yeah, that's a really good point. I feel like you know, luckily Dark and I met before all these dating apps really blew up. So I'm not really well experienced in that situation. Um, but I do know like friends and family that, that deal with that and go through that. And it's almost like a burden. It's, it, it can be stressful. It can be, you know, really kind of toxic sometimes where I feel like, yeah. you know, you, you're constantly putting in the work and then it's just not working out and, you delete the app, you add the app. And it's a really good tip that you gave that it shouldn't just be the dating apps. You know, there are other ways to meet people organically and being kind of being out there in the world as well. Yeah. It's like applying for a job. Like you have to, yeah, sure. You might want to go to your monster and your Indeed and whatever, but you might also want to like, maybe, you know, spread the word. You might also want to, you know, post, give your resume to a few people. You might also want to talk to people in the industry, like ever try a few different approaches. And and I think it was a great point that you brought up about uh, being honest and kind of putting the information out there that's that's truthful. Uh, Because a very good friend, one of my best friends actually did meet his wife on a dating app. uh, And, you know, they're happily married, you know, have a child now. And I do think that because they were probably honest, you know, on the social media or, you know, they were kind of being truthful. And that's kind of what sets it apart from individuals who are just maybe looking for a fling or something. And it can be difficult to tell. So uh, Mm -hmm. like we mentioned, the very beginning it is really about knowing yourself 
putting mm-hmm. yourself out there, being truthful to yourself, and then kind of attracting that in the opposite person and the other person as well. So yep. thank you. I mean, I'm sure it's easy for us to say. <laughs> <laughs> I it's know. harder to do that. <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, but yeah, benefit of the doubt there for sure. So Dr. Vajeta, thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us on this huge topic of relationships. We definitely need to have you back and d- deep dive into some of these topics that we discussed today. Um, I know that you're really active on social media. So what is a good way for our listeners to connect with you? Yeah, um, thank you for firstly, thank you both so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate having this conversation with you as a couple. So thank you both for, for being here and having this conversation with me. And I'd love to come back. Um, so you can find me on social media. My handle is at uh, Dr. Vijeta Singh, and, that, and that's a mouthful. So, um, so you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. I have a Facebook group that's called Loving Courageously, which is for uh, women who sabotage their relationships. So if you feel like you're someone who is getting in your own way of uh, destroying your relationships or, or doing other things that are unhealthy or, um, or just, you know, tripping yourself up you know that's that's a good place to connect with me because there are a lot of resources and tips there and i'll also have a digital course coming up called uh curb the chaos so that's coming up late feb and i'll drop a link for that as well so that's also for people who recognize that they're maybe getting in the way of themselves and want to do something more proactively to fix that wonderful love that thank you for sharing that we'll definitely have to put that on our uh, manmukti instagram page for our followers to sign up well thank you for tuning in to another episode and don't forget if you would like to ask us any questions or suggest any topics or guest speakers please visit our manmukti instagram page at manmukti and comment on any of our posts we always appreciate your support so when you get a chance please rate review and best please subscribe to our podcast channel. In the meantime, remember to take care of your mind, body, and soul. This is Kiran Deep signing out.